Good to see you again, at least half of you here. Up. I've been having fun walking up to people in public that I've never met before, but they're wearing masks. And I always go, aren't you? Oh, never mind, it's the mask. It just made you look like someone else. So. And they always, then they get it sometimes. So, Would you pray with me this morning so we could have God's grace this morning? Father, as we spend this time now in your word, it's, it's a gift from you. It's an opportunity to get to know you better. It's an opportunity to get to know you at all if we've never met you. But Lord, as we've come to realize over the years, anything we have, we receive. And you actually tell us in 1 Corinthians 4 that we shouldn't act like we didn't receive it when everything we have received is from you. Nothing's coming from us. We don't learn things because spiritual truth. We don't learn them because we're intellectually, intellectually superior. Preachers don't preach better because they're a better preacher than somebody else. Everything is by your grace. Your word even tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that to give and to be generous is a grace. And so, Lord, we ask for your grace this morning. We ask that you would give me the grace to preach this message the way you would have me preach. You know I tried to preach it a couple of times last week because I'm excited about what you want us to see today. But with that, I've got way more in my head and in my heart than we have time for this morning. And so, Father, by your grace, take this message and preach it through me for your glory. But, Lord, we need your grace to hear it. Like we just touched on, this isn't figured out with intellectual human wisdom you said yourself in Matthew 11, Jesus, that it's your gracious will that spiritual truth would not be revealed to the wise and the learned, but to little children. And so we humble ourselves today and say, Father, these things that you want to say to us today, help us see them for real. Lord, there's a tendency for us to go through the motions. We tend to get comfortable in our church life we sang our songs, we had our prayer time, we did the announcements, and now it's the message, and then it's lunch. But Lord, today, do something that transforms our lives. Help us to see you better. Help us to know you more. And with that will come a reaction which you also look for from us of loving each other more. And so, Lord, today, accomplish your purposes. We ask this in your name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to start off with a launch passage today. I always call the first passage I start preaching from the launch passage because that's where we're starting from, but we're going to use the Bible today. Some people have said to me, Jim, could you slow down? No. I've tried. I've been wired by God to say, look at where it says here, look what it says here, look what it says here, look what it says here, and I hope you can keep up. I hope you can keep up with God for His grace, and we're going to trust Him. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verse 12. We're going to launch from here. We're going to be coming back to it as well throughout the message. Paul says a very interesting thing. He says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. I'm going to ask you a question this morning, and I'm going to lay it out for you why I'm asking this question. Why is Paul wanting them to increase in their love for each other? Our first reaction would be, well, probably because they weren't loving each other very much. Well, actually, as you're about to find out, this church is doing better than most any church you've ever seen. Go with me to chapter 1. Go to chapter 1 and look at verses 2 through 10. Paul says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, 
and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So here, Paul brags on this church when he writes his letter to them. He says, look, when we came and we shared the gospel with you, you all responded. And it was obvious that you responded because God sealed it. God was the one who did it. The change in your life was evident that the Holy Spirit was involved. And not only did you respond tremendously to the gospel, and this church got started that way, he said, word has already spread all the way around. We didn't have to tell everybody about you because God has done such a work there that word has spread all throughout Macedonia. So why is Paul telling a church that's done so well and has responded tremendously, my prayer is that you increase in your love for each other? Well, before I can answer that question, i got to show you some more from this letter between chapter 1 and chapter 3 where we have our launch passage. Look at chapter 2. You're going to see when we start in chapter 2, right around verse 17, that they went through a time of suffering that it actually separated them from each other and from Paul. Look at chapter 2, verse 17. But since, Paul says, we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person and not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or our joy or our crown or boasting before the Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God? And then he goes on in our section there in verse 11. God send us back to you, hopefully. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Why is Paul writing to a church that had started off tremendously? Obviously, these people truly get saved. They put their faith in Jesus Christ. It was sealed by the Holy Spirit, evidenced by the change in their lives, evidenced by the Holy Spirit. Word had spread throughout all Macedonia about what God had done and how they had turned from their worshiping idols to serve the true and living God, which is Jesus Christ, and to wait for him to come back. And at the same time, they went through a time of persecution and suffering by, from their own people, their own countrymen. I didn't read those verses, but in that section, Paul talks to them about how they received suffering and, and, and persecution from their own people, the Gentiles, just like they had from the Jews. And even in that time of persecution, Paul and them had to be removed from where they were for safety reasons. And he was now wondering how they were doing. Did they make it through that trial? Did they make it through that time of suffering? And he finally couldn't take it anymore. And he sent Timothy. And Timothy came back and said, they're doing great. They're still serving the Lord. They love you guys. They think fondly of you. And they're, they're growing in their walk with the Lord. Why then does Paul say then, my prayer is that you'll increase in your love for each other? Why isn't he satisfied? Why doesn't he just say, keep doing what you're doing? Why does he pray that they would increase in their love? And here's where I want to go today, and I want to show you from Scripture. The Bible actually says that the real evidence of real salvation is that you'll never be satisfied with where you are in your walk with the Lord. An evidence of real salvation is that you are never satisfied with where you are in your walk with the Lord. You want to know Him more, and you'll want to love each other more. What we're going to do today is I'm going to walk you through a bunch of scriptures and show you how the church over the years has been taught to focus on something that is a great evidence of our salvation, but should not have been the focus. And that actually, biblically, we're to be focusing on just two things in the church. You see, the church has been taught to focus on evangelism and to get the word out about Jesus Christ. Please don't hear me wrong. I believe we should be telling people about Jesus. 
But I believe that the telling people about Jesus is going to be an outflow of our individual walk with the Lord that is manifested in our love for everyone, not just for believers, but also for unbelievers. Because the Bible actually shows us that our focus should be on getting to know Jesus more and love each other more. Didn't Jesus say that himself? He summed up the whole law and the prophets into two things. What did he sum them up into? Love what? The Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. This sums up everything. And I'm going to show you from Scripture that all along the New Testament has been teaching the same thing. That as a church, our focus should be on getting to know Jesus, not just for salvation, but getting to know Him more and more and more. And as we grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, our love for each other will also be manifested, and it should grow and grow and grow. And I'm telling you folks, and I've experienced it as in all my years of being a pastor of churches and traveling the country, when a church truly focuses on getting to know Jesus more and loving each other, and that's the only two things they focus on, the church grows. People are told about Jesus. People actually start asking questions because you don't even have to tell them about what God's doing at Calvary when that happens. Word is already going to spread just like it did about the church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica. Let me ask you this question. I'm sure many of you know the passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, right around verse 15, where it says we're to be ready to give reason for the hope that lies within us. Is anybody asking you? The Bible says we're to be ready to give reason for the hope that lies within us. People are going to come up and ask you, why are you different? What's the... the church today isn't being asked. Oh, but we're focusing on getting everybody out there knocking on doors and telling everybody about Jesus. And are you telling people about Jesus? Are you reaching people for Christ? And that sounds like great preaching. Please listen to me. The focus should not be evangelism. The focus should be getting to know Jesus more. You're gonna, let me back you up and walk you through it. Let me go, go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 15. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. There it is again. Your faith in the Lord and your love toward all the saints. I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, for the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In other words, I've heard of your faith in the Lord and your love for each other. Here's my prayer, that you'll get to go know Jesus more. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And then he goes on and says, that's the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Jump over to chapter 3. Look at verse 14. In chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 14. Paul's praying for the same church. He says, for this reason I bow before my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he goes on and says, now he was able to do more than we could imagine. Again, here he said, I've heard of your faith in the Lord and your love toward each other. Here's my prayer for you. I'm praying two prayers that you would come to know Christ better, that God would open your eyes to who he really is and what you have in this salvation. On top of that, my prayer is that you would understand with all the saints the love of Christ, that you'd be filled to the fullness of God. I'm going to ask you a question. We'll do a little Bible quiz here. Those of you that know the Bible pretty well, how many times did Paul write to a church and say, what's your attendance? How many are you running? Are you growing in your numbers? Did Paul ever write to a church and ask that question? Never. You ready for another one that's real surprising? How many times did Paul write to a church and say, how many have you reached for Christ? By the way, that was a question. Never did, did he? But as I'm going to keep showing you, he kept saying, I want you to focus on these two things. But you know what? Over the years, we've been taught 
We've been taught to measure results by our numbers. Some of you probably grew up in the church like I did that had the plaques up on the wall that kept the attendance. How many was in church last week and how many were in Sunday school? And, what? and buddy, good luck for the church that dares take how much the offering was last week out of the, out of the bulletin. We've been taught to measure the wrong thing. Oh, let me tell you, we should be telling people about Jesus, but only as an outflow. You can't help but tell people about Jesus when you get to know him more. In Acts chapter 4, when the, the, the early apostles were being told not to preach anymore in this name, they said, we cannot help but speak about the things that we've seen and heard. There was such a joy that they had that the people just wanted to know more. People around were curious. They saw the early church just love each other. Well, go with me to Acts chapter 2. Go to Acts chapter 2. The preacher that preached two weeks ago preached from this passage. Look closely at what it says in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This is after the, the people responded and got saved at the preaching of Peter at Pentecost. And they devoted themselves, these people, the 3,000 that believed, they were added to their number. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which is the Lord's Supper, and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with, food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Did they focus on evangelism? No, they focused on the apostles' teaching, the Word of God. They focused on fellowship. They focused on the Lord's Supper, which is what reminds us of why we're together. That The Lord's Supper is a meal that we should be taking regularly to remind us that Jesus died for us. It's a fellowship meal. Unfortunately, over the years, we've turned it into a, an individual thing where we were taught to consider what Jesus did for me and how he died for me. And we've turned, we may eat it all at the same time, but we've turned it into an individual thing when that was never the meal. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you'll see that Paul actually chastises them and says, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. You're not even waiting for each other. You're all doing it individually. Folks, they focused on the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the Lord's Supper and prayer. And the Lord added to their number daily. Let me ask you a question. I really want to show a hands on this one. How many of you have ever heard this statement said over the last many years? The church in America is dying. Anybody heard that? That's interesting. If I remember Matthew 16, 18 correctly, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Isn't that true? So is the church dying or is what we're looking at dying? The church is fine. The church is fine. Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell aren't going to stop it. And let me say something to you. You want to be a part of what God's doing. And so what you do to be a part of what God's doing is you don't take over his agenda and say, all right, Lord, we'll, do, we'll go to work for you and we'll come up with a plan and we'll come up with a strategy I think God's telling me today what I'm supposed to preach next week. I haven't known what I'm supposed to preach next week, but I think next week I'm going to start walking you through some of the principles from my book and how God already has the plan and we need to use his. But the church has said, okay, you, you've given us a commission. We're going to go do it. And we've come up with our strategies. Oh, I've been to seminary. I've been taught all the church growth spirals. And once your church gets to this size, you've got to do these things to get to that size. And when the Bible all along has said, you just focus on getting to know Jesus more now that you're saved, and you focus on loving each other, and you watch what God does in your presence. Go back to uh, Philippians. We already saw how in Ephesians, Paul prayed after hearing of their faith and their love that they would grow. Go back, go down to a Philippians and see what he says in Philippians. Chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. In verse 3, 
He said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you're all partakers of, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless keep that blameless in mind we're going to see that a little later that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God he says I thank God for you. I know you're saved. I, I, I know it. And he who began the good work is going to finish it. Because once he seals you, he, what's he, he finishes what he starts. But here's my prayer for you. That you would grow. That you would grow. In your love for the Lord. And your love for each other. Go to Colossians. Turn over one book to Colossians. Go to chapter 1. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Stop. What is he bragging on them about now? He's heard of two things. What has he heard about the church in Colossae? Their faith in the Lord and their what? Love for each other. Now jump down to verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Folks, I want you to hear me today. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be telling people about Jesus. I'm telling you that if you get to know Jesus more on a daily basis you'll fall in love with Jesus more and you won't help but speak about what he's doing in your life. And you want to tell not just other Christians about him, but the lost. But if you've been told to go out and tell people about Jesus and you just stay where you are in your knowledge of Jesus, you ain't bringing much to the table. And it's going to be forced. It's going to feel stale. You're going to feel guilty. And it's going to be of the flesh. But let me just tell you, if you take your focus off of evangelism and put it on getting to know Jesus more and letting that love of Jesus splash out onto the people around you, people are going to be asking you about what's different about you and you'll have plenty of opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. Now, as a lot of you know, I love to play golf. And as I travel, I always bring my clubs with me. And sometimes if I don't have guys to play with, I'll just go to a course myself. But I love the opportunities because... What you see is what you get. I'm like this in the pulpit. I'm like this all the time. I love my life. My motto in life is if it ain't fun, don't do it. And if you got to do it, make it fun. And that's how I am. And on the golf course, I'm a little bit different from most preachers. And a lot of times, inevitably, people will always turn to me and say, what do you do for a living? And I always answer the same way. I don't want to tell you because you're going to really start playing bad golf once I tell you what I do for a living. And they're like, are you an undertaker? I'm like, no, I'm worse. FBI, worse. What are you? I go, I'm a preacher. And you could always see him go, oh, that is bad. <laughs> but you know what? By the end of the round, they inevitably say the same thing. You're not like any preacher I've ever met. And I say, well, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. Folks, if you love Jesus you're going to want to get to know Jesus more. Paul wasn't being a jerk in 1 Thessalonians by saying to them, my prayer is that you would increase and abound in your love for each other after he'd already bragged on them for how well they've done and how they responded to suffering. He's saying to them, I want to see you keep manifesting more and more evidence of what has already started and it'll affect the world in a great way if you keep getting to know Jesus more and loving each other more. All this other stuff falls into place. 
About a year ago, I had the privilege of working at a church as their transitional pastor for one year. It's not something I feel like God's called me to do on a regular basis because I love speaking at different churches all over the country each week. But at the same time, it was something God had me do at this one church, and I was with them for a year as I continued to do my traveling. But when I came in as the transitional pastor, I told them, the church was really struggling. They were down to about 60 people, and they had been told that they needed to just shut the doors, and they'd asked me to come, and I said, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to focus on two things. We're going to focus on getting to know Jesus more during this time and loving each other. We're not going to focus on anything else. If you come to me and say, what are we going to do to get more young people here? I'm going to say, whoa, 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 hang on. Is that one of the two things we're going to focus on? We're going to focus on getting to know Jesus more, and we're going to focus on loving each other, and I believe everything else will fall into place. And you know what? After a year of burning that into their heart and getting, teaching them the word and teaching them how to love each other and doing fellowships, the church is doing great. They've called a pastor. The church has already doubled to almost tripled in size in just a year, and God is doing an amazing work. And they didn't focus on how to fix all the problems. They focused on getting to know Jesus more, and they studied the word, and they focused on spending time together and encouraging one another. And God did a work. Go with me to the end of the book of 2 Peter. All right. When you're there at the end of 2 Peter, we're going to have you put a finger there now. And now turn to the left and go to the first book, the uh, first book of, I'm uh, sorry, the first chapter of 1 Peter. You got, a, you got a finger in the last chapter of 2 Peter. Now go to the first chapter of 1 Peter. Actually, we'll go to chapter 2 of 1 Peter. We'll just jump over there, save some time. We've got a lot to cover here. 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at, what, look at what Peter says here in verses 1 through 3. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So here he said in his first letter to this church, he says, look, my prayer is that you'll grow in the knowledge of the Lord. That like young babies hungering to nurse, always wanting to nurse again, always wanting to nurse again, always wanting to nurse again. Those of you that have been mamas, you know what I'm talking about. By the time you think you finally finished, they're ready to go again. I want you to be like that and hunger. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good, now that you've been saved through your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to hunger for more. And look at what he says in his last letter. At the end of his last letter, chapter 2. Chapter uh, 3 of 2 Peter, verse 18. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Why does Paul say to the church in Thessalonica, I pray that you would increase in your love for each other? Because those are the two things that we're to be focusing on. Getting to know Jesus more and loving each other more. And that should be increasing. Now, there's lots more reasons. But first, I want you to hopefully, unless you want me to show you some more, I think you get it. The two things we should be focusing on are getting to know more, spending time in the Word, hearing teaching, studying for, for ourselves, and spending time together to encourage each other with what God's been showing us and what they've been showing you, and we encourage each other. When you focus on those two things, I promise you, the church will grow. Those of you, when your kids were little and you had to send them to a preschool, a lot of times you probably did a little research to find out which was the best one, correct? I mean, which was going to take care of your kids? Which was going to teach your kids well? Which is going to be safest? Let me tell you something about the Lord. He's doing his work, and the church is being built, and the gates of hell aren't stopping it. But he's only going to send the people that, he's doing, that are responding to his work to the places where they'll be taken care of. If he knows that this is a church that's going to be focusing more on the stuff that he doesn't want it to focus on, that the church, that those people that are getting saved aren't going to be growing in their knowledge of the Lord and their love for each other here, he's going to send them to somewhere else. Folks, that's what happens to our churches. If you look back over the history of the church, there'll be time churches will do great and then God will be blessing and then all of a sudden they'll get off focus. And God will do his work somewhere else in a different congregation. I hadn't planned on doing this, but I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to show you from Scripture how God is not as concerned with local church numbers as we've been taught. Go with me to the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. 
This is free. We're just going to chase this one for a little bit here. This is free. I'm going to show you from Scripture that God is not as concerned with local church numbers as we have been taught. In Acts chapter 2, look at verse 41. This is the end of Peter's preaching at Pentecost. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So here the church grew. Not only were there 120, there might have been, we, we know that after Jesus' death and resurrection, there were at least 120 in the upper room. The, the Gospels tell us that there were 500 who were on the mountain to see him resurrected. We don't know the exact number of the church, but we know this much, 3,000 people were added in one sermon. By the way, be real careful about saying so-and-so is a better preacher than so-and-so because of how many people respond. Because Jesus, at the end of his three years of ministry, we only know about maybe 500. Peter had 3,000 respond in one sermon. So is Peter a better preacher than Jesus? You see the danger of measuring numbers? See the danger of it? So 3,000 are, are added to their number. We just read in verses 42 through 47 that the Lord, as the church just focused on loving each other and growing in their knowledge of the Lord, that the Lord added to their number daily. Jump over to chapter 4. Look at verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000 now. Here the number's grown to over 5,000 in the church there in Jerusalem. You say, Jim, you seem to be working against what you say you're going to be showing us. Here we're seeing the church grow, and it's getting bigger and bigger. Well, keep reading. It's about to get bigger. Go over to chapter 5. Look at verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to, their, to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. So again, here we see that the church is still growing in Jerusalem. The number was 3,000, then it was 5,000 plus, then more and more continually being added. Look at chapter 6. Look at verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, the church is getting bigger. We know that a complaint arose. By the way, when the church grows, you're going to have some family friction. Go to verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests came, became obedient to the faith. Jim, you said you were going to show us how God is not as concerned with local church numbers, and all you've done is show us how God kept track of how the church in Jerusalem got bigger and bigger and bigger, and he even gave us numbers. Jump over to chapter 8. Stephen has just been put to death at the end of chapter 7. In verse eight, chapter 8, verse 1, Saul, we know him as Paul, approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Now hang on for a second. What happened to all those thousands of people in Jerusalem who'd just been a part of the church in Jerusalem? What happened to them? Every single one of them were scattered. Listen to me. We got a problem. It's in us from day one. Even though we know what God says, we still want to do things that make us comfortable and how we like it. Back in the beginning, God turned to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, and he said this, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You get to chapter 10, though. They say we don't want to be scattered over the whole earth. Let's make a name for ourselves. And they built the Tower of Babel, remember? What did God do to them? He scattered them. The early church had been told, go into all the world. You can be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive power. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And when the church started to grow in Jerusalem, they liked it. And they all stayed. And the church got bigger and bigger. And God said, that's really not my intention for the church. 
Yeah, I know we've been taught to measure the good years is when we had a lot of people here and the bad years were when we didn't have as many folks. It's never been what Jesus was concerned about because as much as that church grew, he scattered them all. He's not as concerned with whether or not we've got a lot of people on a Sunday morning. He's more concerned with are they growing in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and are they loving each other more and more so that the world around sees that there's something going on there. By the way, those of you that have raised children and those of you that have large families, it's fun to have a large family. Do you want them to stay longer than they're supposed to stay? And the same thing in the church. We shouldn't want them to stay longer than they're supposed to stay. Sometimes they're supposed to go be missionaries. Maybe to Zimbabwe. Some of you are still hurting the fact that Sean and Kim and Ethan are leaving. You wanted them to be here for a long time. I, I can't fault you for that. They're great people. We love them. We're, we're kind of bummed that we don't get to hang out with them as much as we used to when I was their pastor and they were in the church and we hung out more. But you don't want him to stay if he was supposed to be in Zimbabwe. It wouldn't be good for the church and you would suffer. I'm going to ask you to do something. Stop measuring success by whether or not the church grows in numbers. Measure success by whether or not the church grows in their knowledge and love of the Lord and their love for each other. Oh, and by the way, the church was fine. You know how it was scattered here? Jump over to chapter 9. Look at verse 31. The church is fine. Yeah, the numbers don't look so good in Jerusalem right now. And they're bringing in professionals to try to figure out what went wrong. But look at chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The church was still doing fine. It had been scattered and it was still growing and God's accomplishing His work. So, why does Paul then in 1 Thessalonians 3, I want saying to this healthy church, my prayer is that you'll increase in your love for each other because that's what we're supposed to focus on. Oh, there's two other reasons. Another reason is this, and it's in our section in the very next verse. It's how we'll, well, actually, we'll save that one for the last time. We'll jump to the, the, the other reason. It's how you'll know you're really saved. Listen to me say it to you, and I'll show it to you from Scripture. One of the ways you'll know that you're really saved, not one of those people that pray to prayer, but Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Not one of those seeds that falls on the rocky soil or the thorny soil that sprung up and fooled everybody, but had no root because it wasn't real salvation. One of the ways we'll know we're really saved, the Bible says, is that we are growing in our love for the Lord and our knowledge of Him and our love for each other. Let me show you what I mean. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. The same book that he says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ at the very end of, in the beginning in chapter 1 of that book, listen to what he says. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. He says, His, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are what? Increasing. They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter says, 
you've already received everything you need for salvation. Don't let any preacher tell you that you need another baptism or anything like that. No, the Bible's real clear in Ephesians chapter 4 that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says that in Christ the deity of God lived in bodily form and you've received fullness in Christ. 2 Peter 1 chapter 1 verse 3 says he's given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge. I mean, you already at your salvation, you were filled with the Holy Spirit at that time. You were baptized in the Holy Spirit and you received everything you need. Now it's a matter of learning to practice growing in your knowledge of everything that you have. That's why Paul prayed, heard of your faith and your love. My prayer is that God will open your eyes to see everything you've got. The hope to which he's called you, glorious inheritance, the power for those who believe, the love that God has for you. If you would really understand all that, everything else will fall into place. We couldn't shut you up about Jesus Christ. We wouldn't have to make a night that you had to go knock on a door to get you to do it. But the church has been told to focus on the wrong things. And folks, you're at this time where it appears that God is going to be blessing you with a new pastor. And you're in a time where you've had growth and health because of the years of being taught by Sean and pastored by Sean and loved on by Sean and his family. And God's used them. But don't get focusing on, well, let's see how Daniel does by whether or not we grow numerically. You start saying, are we getting to know Jesus more? And are we loving each other more? And I promise you, everything else falls into place. But there's also not only... Does Paul say to them, my prayer is that you're increasing each other because that's what we should be focusing on, increasing your love for each other, so that we should be focusing on. And not only is it because it confirms that we're really saved, it's also how we can be confident for the day of his return. Look at chapter 3 again, verse 12, and we're going to read into verse 13. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Remember back in Philippians, we read this? In Philipp- I'm going to read it to you, Philippians chapter 1. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Folks, I hope you hear this. I prayed at the beginning that God would give us his grace that we would hear it. You, I'm begging you, and I'm going to show you how at the end of the message. I'm begging you to respond in a way that your focus is wanting to know Jesus more and wanting to love each other more. And that's all you care about. That's all you care about. You don't focus on anything else in the church that everything else will just fall into place as God uses the different people and their giftings, loving each other that way, and we may get into that down the road. But right now, I want you to hear me. If you focus on getting to know Jesus more, by the way, the same Paul that wrote this is the same one that wrote Philippians chapter 3 that says, I want to know Christ better. The fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Not that I've already attained all this, but forgetting what is behind and pressing on toward what is ahead. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, and all who are mature will think this way. Folks, let me just challenge you. Give up on how you've been taught to look at church. Give, give up on measuring what the, but whether or not we're meeting budget. Give up on measuring whether or not we got a full parking lot or how many young people or how many of all this stuff. It's, it's, it made sense to us, but it's not the focus. And you start challenging each other and yourself. Are we growing in our knowledge and our love for the Lord? And are we growing in our love for each other? And you watch what God does in this place. But there's something in here that we need to hear. Because this is where the preacher usually ends his sermon and says, go love Jesus more and go love each other more. And you all go, yes, sir. And you walk out of here and you meant it. We're going to love Jesus more and we're going to love each other more. And you, how have you done those of you that have walked with the Lord for a few years and, and you, you've heard the preaching of how you need to love God more and you need to love each other more, you really wanted to. I mean, you were moved by God. You heard the sermon and, and you said, yes, I'm going to do that. You might even have walked an aisle and rededicated your flesh. I'm going to do better. Don't miss what's here. 
Who's supposed to make us increase in love for each other and knowledge of the Lord? God, may the Lord Jesus, may he make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. You remember how Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the one who calls you faithful, he will surely do it. Go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to encourage you at the end of 2 Thessalonians, look at what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're just about done. I know that the definition of an optimist is the lady that puts her shoes back on when the preacher says in conclusion, but I mean it. I really do mean it. We're almost done. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 16 and 17. It says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, may he comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Here's what you got to do today. You don't walk out of here and say, I'm going to do this. You walk out of here and say, Lord, give me the heart to do it. Because Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, it's God who not only works in us to do what he wants. It's, the verse says, it's God who works in you both to will and to act. You need God to give you the desire. You ever tried to love God more? Has anybody ever sang that song, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul longs after you and thought to yourself, man, I would love that because it's really not how I feel. I want to. I did till I realized 2 Thessalonians 3.5. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3.5. 2 Thessalonians 3.5. Look at what it says. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Folks, all through the scriptures, it's been there all along. But what we preachers have done, fortunately, over the years, and we as church members have bit, we've, we've all fallen, fallen prey to it, is we've all heard the preacher say, there's nothing you can do to be saved. You have to receive it by faith. Jesus does it all. He's the one that lived the sinless life. He's the one that died on the cross to cover your sins. He's the one that rose from the dead. He's the one that calls you. He's the one that draws you. And all you have to do is by faith say, I receive it. I'm a sinner. I am guilty before you. And I, I'm, if I'm going to get to heaven, it's because you're going you're to give it to me, not because of anything I've done. And we know that we're saved by grace, not by works, so no one can boast. But then the preacher said, now that you're saved, you got to go live for Jesus. Because of all that he's done for you, you need to live for him now. You ever heard that preaching? Oh, we even probably grew up in the church. I don't know if your church was like that. Mine was. As soon as you walked the aisle and trusted Christ, they handed you your envelopes. Do you remember? And on the envelopes it said, I brought my Bible. I read my Sunday school lesson. I did all this stuff. And you were handed the list of committees and told to get to work. And you were told, here are our service times. We want you to be here every time the door is open. And we were taught to go live for Jesus. When Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. You not only can't save yourself, you can't live the Christian life unless I do it. And that's why he taught him on the abiding relationship. All stuff we're going to look at over the next few weeks that I'm going to be here I'm going to be walking you through how God already has a plan for Calvary, and we just need to find out what that is and use his and shut ours all down and say, Lord, what do you got in mind? You're doing something here, and we want to be a part of it. We want you to build your church here. We want this to be a place that you actually can send the people that are responding to your call. We want them to be here. What's your plan for Calvary? And I'm going to walk you through and show you what the Scripture teaches on that. But for today, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the perseverance of Christ. May the Lord establish you in every good work and word. May he be the one who makes you stand blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. My wife and I have been married now for 30 years, and I know for some of you couples out there, that's nothing, and we're puppies. But to us, that's a pretty big deal. We actually hit 30 years of marriage on this preaching trip when we were in the west side of Virginia. And I can honestly tell you, and my wife knows that I was going to share this as an illustration, my love for her has increased over these 30 years. And it's for real. You know why? Because there's something about getting to know somebody over that length of time. When we were young marrieds, we thought we knew what love was. 
we had no idea. We understand more now and more, and I can't wait if Jesus tarries for more years to get to know her and to love her more. And I can honestly tell you, and she'll even testify, because I wanted to make sure she wasn't going to sit there going doing this while I was giving this illustration. I'm a little bit better than I was at showing my love for her than I used to be as well. See, I didn't understand about love languages and all these different things. I just figured, you know, I told her I love her. If it changes, I'll let her know. And I had to learn how to demonstrate that love. And over the years, I've gotten better at actually not just growing in my knowledge of her and loving her, it's been manifesting itself in selfless acts that I didn't make a plan to do. I actually find myself saying, I actually want to go for a walk. See, for me, if you're going to walk, bring a golf club and a ball. <laughs> but last night, we actually walked over in Grover Cleveland Park after dinner because she loves to go for a walk. There was golf still on television, folks, and I went for a walk. You know why? Because my love for her has increased. And it's just manifesting itself that way. I didn't set out to do better. I asked Jesus to do a work in my heart toward my wife a few years ago, and he's done it. I want to encourage you. God will do everything he desires for us to do through us if we ask him and believe that he will. Would you stand as we pray? Father, today we know deep down that what you've shown us is truth. We see it in your word. We can't even argue with it. But many of us have been raised in the church for so long that we have been taught a whole new paradigm, a whole new way of looking at things that con runs contradictory to your word. And we ask for your grace in this time of transition from one pastor to another. We ask for your grace to have you realign our hearts and minds with your truth. Father, put a work in us and do a work in our hearts as we ask you and believe you individually, to just individually get to know you more. Confirm our salvation as we grow in our grace and knowledge of you. Father, make us feel confident for that day of judgment that we can stand blameless because you've done the work, not us. Those people that you said, I'll never, I never knew you, they said, we did this and we did that. And you said, yeah, but that was you. Father, we don't want anything that's going to be of us when we stand before you. We want it all that's been done by you. And so, Lord, thank you for what you've done in the past, over the years at Calvary, but forgetting what is behind and straining toward what's ahead. We want to press on. And the prize is when you say, well done, and we say, we didn't do it. May that be what happens in each of our lives in your, for your glory. And in your church, we ask this in Jesus' name.